0: Hello and let us come immediately to our text which is as we move down this list of what has been called the Beatitudes we come in verse 4 the blessing um, to those who mourn for they shall be comforted. We've got to be very careful with this one um, because I have seen too much where uh, religion has delighted to cut this in two. And so they come with the words, um, blessed are those who mourn, period. And and forget that that is not what the text says. This is not a blessing on those who mourn. It is a blessing to the mourn that their mourning now is over and they shall be comforted. And so the two words that dominate this beatitude is, of course, blessed, with all the joy and the excitement that is in that word that we saw a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then the second word of the text is comfort, and that's a word I'll have to explain in a moment. But The the blessing is two persons who mourn with the great delighted word, the good news that they shall mourn no more for they shall be comforted. Okay, let's make sure we understand that. Where does this all come from? I suppose we could have addressed this uh, when we were looking at an overview of the um, passage that this this didn't just crop up in the mind of jesus uh he is speaking over against the old testament background you do understand that the old testament beginning right there in chapter 3 of genesis unfolds the picture of jesus we we call it prophecy as spoken hundreds, sometimes millennia, in advance. It describes perfectly who Jesus is and what he came to do, speaking in the beautiful picture language, poetry language of the Old Testament. Well, when Jesus says these words to his disciples, he is speaking to men who knew that Old Testament— and so these Beatitudes are really the announcement of Jesus saying that I'm here, the Messiah that the Old Testament spoke of is here. And now all that was said in the prophecies of the Old Testament is coming to pass. It, it's coming, but it now is, for it is in him. Jesus is that beatitude. And so we come to this particular one and shall I say the Old Testament was very excited about this. They were very aware of the word mourning to describe their present condition. And therefore when they saw the coming of Messiah, that is Jesus, they became well, I say again, very excited because they saw the end of the days of mourning. Let let me give you one example. There are a number, but let me give you one that you probably are more familiar with. It's in Isaiah chapter 61. It was written about 700, 750 years before Jesus came. But it says this, and I might quickly add, that you remember Jesus um, had already spoken this prophecy as applying to himself. Do you remember that? He came to his hometown of Nazareth and went to the synagogue and they handed him the book of Isaiah and he opened it at this passage and read it and said, This day, this scripture is fulfilled right in front of you. So he claimed to be the one that Isaiah 61 is speaking of. Now, at a slightly later time, not very much, this was very much in the same time period, Jesus takes his disciples up that mountain and he is saying, hear me carefully, the same thing only he's couching it in the words that we're now familiar with. Blessed are those that mourn because they shall be comforted. But let's go back to Isaiah 61 and hear what the prophet said and now what Jesus is saying. The prophet Isaiah said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Jesus claimed that that was speaking of him because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, which I might quickly say means, in fact, that Jesus came with good news, not with condemning news or sad news or upsetting news. He came with good, good news that reflected the goodness of God. And in saying that, The good news, he said, is to the afflicted. Okay, just put that word on hold. Um, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's a strong word to describe what factors have done to crush and destroy a heart. To proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners. To proclaim, in fact, the favorable year of the Lord. And if you are familiar with the Old Testament, that really means the year of Jubilee. And the day of the vengeance of our God. That is, vengeance upon the serpent, Satan, and all that he had brought. But then he says, to comfort all who mourn. Now that's almost an exact quotation that Jesus is using here. Then he goes on to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. And fainting there could almost be translated as depression, that that awful darkness that comes upon the the mind and, and feelings, soul. There, there, there you have, do, do you see? Well, let me give you one more. Isaiah 60, verse 20, it says, For you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be finished. Okay, uh, and I say there, there's plenty more we could have quoted. And we'll quote a few more as the hour goes on. Um, but you get the point. The, these prophets, they saw that they were part of a mourning people, and the one who was coming would bring an end to that. He would, in fact, flood them. With joy, he would take away the mourning and give them joy instead. So what is this word that keeps cropping up here and is the part of this text, mourn? Blessed are those who mourn. Well, it is the strong word and it is used essentially when one is facing death. And so the word mourn describes grief. I would have to insert here, it describes grief in a sense of horror. I think we would all agree that it is universal and has spanned the ages that humankind looks at death with horror, even though we are surrounded by it yet we never get used to it. It is horror. It's that instinct within us that says the human was not created to die. This is something that should not be to the nth degree. And so I say this word mourn, it describes horrific grief. Should I say mourning? It is that hopeless cry into the darkness that has overcome a person at the loss of someone held dear, precious, who is no more. Did you get that? It's grief. It's the hopeless cry that one wails into the darkness of that moment. A grief, a cry that is at the loss of someone held dear, who is no more. Mourning, it's the destruction of a dream. All that could have been but will not be now. All that should have been, might have been, but never will be. That's mourning. It's a hope that is gone and cannot be replaced. There's an anguish, anguish to mourning. Mourning... the, the Israelite people, the Hebrews of the Old Testament and into the New Testament, uh, they always express their core self, their inner feelings. Uh, you could say, we'd, today we'd say they wore it on their sleeve. Quite literally, they had different clothing for different moods. And so they had clothing that described their going to a party to celebrate. And it was a robe that reflected the joy and celebration of the moment. They also had clothing that told the world that I am in a state of mourning and grief. And that was sackcloth. They, they put on clothes made of sackcloth and they put ashes into their hair. So there was no doubt, as you saw such a person walking down the street, they were on their way to a funeral or they were in a state of such grief that they would adorn themselves in a funeral fashion. But at least everybody in the world knew what was going on here. And so you'll read the expression in the scripture, especially Old Testament, sackcloth and ashes. It it means I am in a state of mourning. I, I, I am in a state of great grief and sorrow and that was reflected i don't know if you heard it in that isaiah prophecy 61 that i read where it says he will give a garland for ashes garland was a uh, what something like um, uh, a crown that was made of leaves and flowers that they put on their hair And the prophet said in that day when Messiah comes, he will give you a garland, uh, spring leaves and flowers in your hair instead of ashes. That is, he's taking away the mourning. He's cleaning out your hair from ashes, which spoke of that which has burned out and gone. And he's putting there life and flowers and... You get the picture. They they took it very seriously, but also their prophets took very seriously that the mark of Messiah would be to come into the world of mourning with the powerful joy that would bring mourning to an end. By by the time the New Testament came... um, Big business had got into this, and so there were professional mourners. Um, you'll read of them in the Gospels. They were the people that do you remember when Jerias' daughter died, and it says that Jesus threw out the these mourners. They, they weren't they weren't relatives, and they had no real interest in the person who had died. They were paid to come and wail and howl and cry. They were fantastic actors, and um, you paid them. Well, it was something like at a wedding. You have a wedding planner. Well, if there's a funeral in Bible days, you'd have a funeral planner who would bring in the professional mourners, and they would take over and do all the wailing and crying, and Jesus threw them out. That's phony. But you, you, you see what I'm saying. This is the background to those passages I just read, that, that it's speaking of the human in a state of mourning and grief and even horror, mourning what was but is not, a hope that is no more, and no way of returning. It's over. And the black duck... It opens up before, and so this is basic. Can I? Can I? Let's go there. Morning, as we come out of the Garden of Eden, mourning is basic to the human condition. We call what happened in the Garden of Eden the fall. Mankind entered into sin. He made the mistake of all mistakes. He entered into the pathway of error that was beyond all comprehension. Maybe we should also add to that that it was the day of great sadness. That would well describe when the lie, when Satan the liar took a hold upon the core of human with lie and the energy of the lie, which is an energy of darkness, entered into mankind. It was the day of great sadness, which I might say was a word unknown until that moment. The great sadness. And the the original human couple left that paradise of Eden... And they left in a state of mourning because they have died and they are now walking their own funeral. Do you understand that? Adam came out of Eden mourning because he had died at the very center of his being. And now all that's left to do is to mourn what might have been what could have been, what should have been, but also to know that there is no pathway back. He, he's, you see, we were created. Come on, you've got to really listen now because huh, we live in a world that doesn't go here. The world does not like this word nor all that it suggests. So please let's understand, we were created for life. We were created for an aliveness that in in the world can hardly be described. And what happened in sin, man entered into, at the core being, into death. And so what is left with now is a mere existence in a body that is fashioned to contain and reflect the image of God, a body, in fact, that God, the Son, Jesus, could come and be and live in for unending ages and be perfectly happy there. What a body! What an incredible machine! But the life has gone. And so now, within the machine, mankind has an existence. He is, he's the walking dead. And all he's left with now is the machine to find within the machine some meaning to life, some goal for existence. And I say again, what has been done cannot be reversed. Reversed. We can't say shucks let's go and do that again it's gone he is lost without a pathway back and he's lost all sense of god being love and now he finds himself in the grip of fear and primarily fear of god he finds himself now in a state of anxiety in life he finds himself having lost the peace, the joy. It's, I say, the great morning, And he can't find his way back because the very nature of the lie has convinced him that this hideous darkness that now becomes his way of life is right. He believes that he has made the great wise decision to find life in himself. I tell you, that is hideous, that I believe I'm right and yet at the same time I mourn the wretchedness of my existence, know that I am far beyond any animal that has ever been created and yet I don't know why I'm here and I mourn my very existence. I think Romans seven twenty four sums up this this cry of humankind. Do you remember what it says there? Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Well, the fact is, if if humankind ever could see their true condition, that they have brought upon themselves that they have actually self-divorced away from the God who will not stop loving them and has assumed a blindness in which they see that same God of love as a monster seeking to destroy them. If, if mankind ever truly saw his condition as to what he has become, it would result in madness. I I mean that word very carefully. Become a madman. Uh, He would become insane. Uh, And that's why when we get close to seeing that, uh, those moments of silence, when everything's turned off and there's no TV and there's nothing in my ear playing songs and... There's all the, you know, I'm, I'm alone, and there's silence. And, and in that, there, there, it begins, it begins to creep up inside of us that, who am I? Why am I here? And, and to look at everything I thought meant life to me and realize it, it, it's shabby tinsel. And, and yeah, I keep thinking like that, I go insane. So insane. We're, we're the only creature on the planet that can look at oneself and consider and contemplate one's own beginnings and endings. That's where the madness comes in. I, I remember when I was in Africa and I, I watched as uh, lions were um, attacking a, a herd of gazelles impala they were called and uh, the the whole herd of impala are running and you can see the fear in their eyes as the lionesses were going for the kill and as one of the lionesses leaped on the back of the impala and brought it down suddenly the whole herd stopped running and began to eat again in the very presence of the murderess who has just taken down one of their own it was an interesting they had no concept of death it was just the instinct to run but once it had happened that's gone and they can now feed in the presence of the lions now that's an animal we don't have we 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 know what's going on we can stand outside ourselves and look at ourselves and contemplate ourselves and pass judgment and And when you consider what happened, the great sadness that came into the human race, if one considers that, and if that's all I can see, then my mourning turns to madness and insanity. And so humankind has gone into denial, into avoidance. Some immerse themselves in work, so there's no time to think of who I am. Others are distracted to the nth degree by entertainment and party and keep everything moving, 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 noise, noise. So I don't have to think, only that doesn't work because when the noise gets to its extreme and the entertainment can't go further, we're so empty we need to numb out everything with, with drugs. You, you see what I'm saying? But this at the point when, when this crashing darkness came down on the human race in Genesis chapter 3, at that same time, what does God do about that? What, what is the opinion of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit when man enters into this great despair? At that very moment, when Adam stood there and looked at his lover God and told him, I was afraid of you, and he cowers back away from God, lest God should see him. At that time, God gave the promise of the deliverer and said that the deliverer would come, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And in so doing, His own heel would be bruised. And so mankind entered into the great mourning, but entered in with the great promise of Genesis 3.15. But strangely, the church, shall I say the church? You know, make that as broad as you want. Um, Anything that sort of halfway points ahead toward God. Um, has moved away long since from mourning, as a whole anyway. And and therefore, if I move away from mourning as if it isn't there, then this that Jesus came to do loses its edge. If, If I'm not aware of this grief at the very basis of the human race, then I don't understand the wonder that Jesus addresses such as, "'I come to bless you and bring you to comfort and a garland instead of ashes.'" You know what I'm talking about. Actually, often we are accused of it. I never understand that. They they call us, what's the word? They call us hyper-grace. That's a false grace if it ever exists. Uh, the uh, false grace, uh, I'd, I'd rather call it uh, extreme positive thinking, you know, it's it's this that says, well, uh, there's nothing wrong, everything's just fine, you see, um, just, just saying good things long enough and fast enough, and it's, it's all wonderful. No, it isn't fine. Mankind is in the state of mourning on the edge of madness. True grace that we're speaking of. Grace being God's gift in Jesus Christ. And the whole New Testament says this incidentally. Opens our eyes. That's the point. Opens our eyes to see the darkness we are in. To see the slavery that the lie has over us. Everything isn't fine. No, it isn't. And it takes the gift of God. It takes the intervention of God to open our eyes, to see the darkness and to see the hopelessness and to see the emptiness and to see that what we call life is really the great sadness. To see that mankind's fall was a fall into nothingness unless God intervenes. But, now here's the biggest but I'll say tonight, as grace shows us that, in the same, the self-same seeing, he shows us God's answer in Jesus Christ. For Jesus takes a hold of that darkness and he is the light of the world and he shreds the darkness he enters into the very guts of our despair and says I have come to bring you joy, I've come to bind up the broken hearted, I have come to give you garland instead of ashes. I've come to bring you such peace, such joy that it all it's come to an end. And it's the beginning of the new that signals the end of the old. In Jesus Christ, there is no darkness. In Jesus Christ is the definition of joy and peace. And of course, the love of God embraces us. Okay, let me put it this way Grace, God's gift to us, announces, and hear me very carefully, that the only, boy, is there a stronger word? The only possible solution to mankind's mourning in his own death was that God himself should enter into that darkness and join himself to that Adam And from within our darkness and our mourning, he should embrace the entire race, for he made us all. He can do that. And he would get to the very heart of our suffering. He would touch our insanity. He would see God and life through Adam's eyes. And he would announce the truth and destroy the lie, and he would carry that whole race of which you and I are a part into death by dying as our representative. And when the stone rolled over the door, that race that rose its fist to God was carried in Jesus to death. And when Jesus came out of the tomb, He announced, it's over. It's over. You see, when Jesus died, it's very specific, especially in the light of what I'm now saying, that the death of Jesus dealt with this very thing. We, We say so glibly sometimes that he died for our sins. Yes, he did, but he died for everything that sin brought, everything that sin had penetrated into our deepest heart. Listen, let me read Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected by men. It's speaking of the cross. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And in the Hebrew language, those two words, sorrow and grief, describe every pain, every hurt, every abuse of mind, emotion, and body that has assailed the human race. So much so, he says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We couldn't look at the horror that we saw in him there at the cross. He was despised. We did not esteem him, we could not honor him. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, that he said when we looked at him, we thought that must God must be God must be doing this to him. No, he says in verse 5, no, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That, 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 that speaks. Can I add to that? that Jesus took to himself our grief, our sorrow, which arose out of our sin. You see, we've got to understand this. Um, Mourning is is not something one does because you've broken some rules. Please hear me now. Please hear me. You, You don't... Look, when you're pulled over and given a ticket for doing something wrong on the road, you feel no grief toward the police officer or to the judge. Uh, Your feelings to yourself is rather angry that you did such a silly, stupid thing, angry that you got caught, but mourning doesn't, you broke a rule. You face the threat of punishment. But mourning doesn't come into it. Mourning doesn't belong to that. Mourning is, it's got nothing to do with, with punishment. Mourning is over a broken relationship. Mourning is, that a beautiful love relationship, someone where we'd use the word precious, has been hurt, something that was the most wonderful interaction and union of persons has been thrown away. And that's when mourning comes in. We break, we break a relationship. We have lost a love and all that goes with it. That's when we use the word mourning. You see, sin, this great sadness that I've been speaking of, is the betrayal of love. It's not breaking rules. It isn't that God, the great governor, judge, throughout this silly rule about not eating a piece of fruit and and we did it and shucks, the holy police came and here we are, we're under the threat now of God's punishment because he hates you for doing it and he's going to take it out on you for the, for the Where Where did you get that from? God who is love, not a governor, not a judge, love and he did not set a rule before them that they now have to try and keep rather he pointed out that there's a way of life there that is going to bring this whole glorious beautiful life to a tragic end he's warned love warns them it it's a relationship and what humankind did was betray that love was to go up against the beautiful faithfulness of God and spit in its face. And now he's been plunged into this empty blackness of the satanic lie where he has no sense, no awareness of that love or that joy or that peace. Rather, he's entered into a new relationship with the enemy, with the liar, with the accuser where there's only fear and pain and hurt and self-protecting self. Oh, no, you see, it's the realization that, what's missing inside of me? What is it that I'm trying to stifle? Can't think of it. There's a relationship, you see, a relationship that has been broken and abandoned. There's a rejection of love that, Mind you, man can't put a name to it you You could say that it's almost like uh, you know the dream you wake up and, and know you had a dream, but you can't really remember it, and it haunts you and and here mankind has a memory that he can't remember, okay, put it like that remember there there's a love there we're, from this we get words like it isn't fair. Who, who, who made that isn't fair? It's because somewhere inside of us we remember we were created to walk in love, self-giving love. We were created for joy. That's why unhappiness is, is, is looked upon with horror. We can't go there. We were looked upon, rather we were created for love and life. That's why all that is less than that, we we look at it in horror. Have you ever thought of this? Even your body, do you, you realize your body, with no help from you, when you get anxious, your body goes to pieces, and you become open to every kind of sickness and disease because you weren't created to be anxious. That is foreign. That's you should mourn over that. That's it's not. It's not. How does a lie detector work? It's because we were created to walk in truth. And even the most immoral among us can't help it that your body tells the world when you're telling a lie. And there's a lot of other things on that too. Your your eyeballs do, when you tell a lie, your eyeballs change shape. You can't hold your eyes steady. They have to go in a certain direction. Oh yeah, our bodies were made for God. They were made for love. They were made for peace and for rest and for joy. They were meant to tell the truth. And now all we've got is a memory we can't remember, a relationship we can't put our fingers on. Uh, And uh, see, God never stopped loving us. God never stopped pursuing us. He he never broke the relationship, but we're blind. When you present the gospel as you broke some rules, you're going to be punished. But if you sign this card, you'll get out of prison, and <laughs> that doesn't produce mourning any more than it produces joy. Maybe a bit of relief to think you, you know, you worked the system, you got out of jail free, um, sort of. But then you live in fear that I'm going to mess up again. I'm going to break the rules again, and then I'll be threatened. And then you know how religion goes these days. But relationship is totally different, totally different. I realize that I am beloved and that he's so loved that he came to me in my darkness to bring him back to himself. And he has given to me the gift of his love in Jesus, and, and given me the joy that belongs only to God and peace. And so we guard that love. We look at, at sin with abhorrence. We re, we're repelled it. We, it. No, no, not because that would mean this relationship of love would be dulled and shadowed. No, it, it's... See, this gospel is the good news, good news. Jesus is the one that has taken our mourning. We we don't get out of it by keeping a few rules. That would be like giving your corpse a, a facelift. It, it would be like putting band-aids on the, the brokenness of a dead body. Uh, no, please don't make me say those things. It, it's... Look, the gospel isn't a trip to the emergency room to try and get your old self back to what it could be. No, there's no hope for that. Jesus had to die. Die because he had taken me and you to himself, and when he died, he carried us to death. There was no more hope. Death. And then holding us within himself... He rose from the death and we rose with him to a world now that is beyond even the world that Adam had. And that's comfort, you see, comfort. Jesus is announcing himself as the one where mourning ceases. We enter into blessing and to comfort. And in saying those words, he was anticipating what he would do at the cross. He didn't come to condemn us. He didn't come to accuse us. didn't come to hang our dirty washing out. He came to take it into himself and carry it away. And he says, the mourners will enter into a new world of comfort. What's comfort? Well, number one, it's the name of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Do you remember? Jesus called him. Well, he called him by this word in the Greek language. Um, We've translated it comfort, which is a jolly good word, except in this 20 and 21st century, we've sucked the life out of it. And comfort now means someone said, there, there, cheer up, it's going to be okay. Now, that's not the meaning of the word. No, no, no. This, number one, is who the Holy Spirit is. For it's not merely his name that Jesus gave him, but uh, it, it is him. So he doesn't, we can't think of him giving comfort. He is the comfort that he gives. It is his presence in our lives that gives us comfort. And so the word means, and let me give you a sentence and include in the sentence every word that we've got to understand as being part of its meaning. The Holy Spirit, yes, it's he, who is our lover and friend, who comes with earnest and passionate, enthusiastic concern, and he comes alongside of us, as opposed to confronting you in your face, he comes alongside, he joins you where you are on the journey, and gently, calls us to come together with him to see truth and life from his viewpoint, to see God and yourself through his eyes. And in so doing, to exhort you, encourage you, and strengthen you with the news that in Jesus... All has been solved. He's carried away the sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he carries it away, and with it he carries away the mourning and gives to us the joy which we find in the Holy Spirit. The English word comfort um, is actually a Latin word. But it's a pretty good. If if and don't mean what it means today. But the word "com" in Latin it means with, or actually a with that is in you. And then "fort," well, that too is in other parts of the English language, meaning a place of strength, um, the fort where the, the soldiers are uh, strengthened against the enemy. So comfort is a word which means that you are with, you are in with strength. It's an in strength. That is, we're not talking about strength. We are talking about the Holy Spirit actually putting through himself strength, the strength of God inside of you. And we already know that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So comfort is to be inguarded. It is that God himself dwells within you, and you become aware. Your eyes are open to see that you are loved. You are blessed. And he is within you the very strength of salvation to bring you to a whole new life that is outside of the darkness and the morning. In the Old Testament, the word is always connected with the blessing of Messiah salvation being fulfilled. So comfort is God's intervention with his promised salvation. And the Holy Spirit comes to us now comes to us from the ascended risen Jesus the Holy Spirit comes God from God and he comes alongside of us with all the excitement and passion that the Holy Spirit is with his joy he shares with us the good news of all that Jesus is and has accomplished and that that accomplishment is in this throbbing now moment. And he ends that into us. We become new creations in the new creation Jesus. So Jesus stood before these disciples and shared with them. And wow, what a sharing. What news. Blessed. Oh, Remember what I said? It means you, you, are, you have a joy that is to be envied. Enviable joy. You know, a person said, I'd give my right arm to, to know that joy, that peace. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And actually the Greek there would be better, like with a pointed finger, blessed are you who mourn. Why? How can you bring a party hat to a person who's in this mourning? Blessed are you who mourn. Because Jesus, the speaker, is saying, you shall be comforted. The strength of God, the joy of God, will lift you out of this state of darkness into his kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. In the Holy Spirit. That's salvation, you see. When Jesus died, he carried Adam to the death that was the death of death, the finish of Adam. And with it, the mourning of Adam went into the tomb. And Jesus, in resurrection, became the last Adam. That is the beginning of a new human race. He is the new creation. He is the one that created the Genesis 1 creation. But now he enters that creation to bring it to an end. And this new creation is you and I united to him participants in all that he did and is doing, and to actually joy with his joy and peace with his peace. Huh. It's, I, you could um, sort of sum it up. I, do you remember when Jesus rose from the dead? He'd only just risen from the dead. He was in the garden where the tomb was. And Mary Magdalene was there. Do you remember she was weeping? Well, she was sobbing because they had no clue why Jesus had died. And, And he's gone. It's all that we just said about mourning. Every hope, every... What might be, could be, and and now Jesus is gone, he's dead. But added insult to injury, the tomb is now empty. And all she can think of is those people who crucified him has now stolen the body. And there she's sobbing in the garden that the death was uh, could get no worse. But now they've stolen the body. And Jesus stands behind her. Boy, what a story this is. There she is. She she has summed up the human race's mourning. She sobs. And behind her stands Jesus, freshly risen from the dead, having forever dealt with this darkness. And he said to her, Why are you weeping? That's a daft question to ask to anybody in a graveyard. But she thought he was the gardener because she couldn't think that it was him. And she turned and then realized it was him and grasped him. And the whole magnificent purpose of his death and resurrection comes and he says, I'm taking you all to the Father. It was the same thing on the Emmaus road that same afternoon. Do you remember? And, and and they're broken-hearted, and Jesus comes alongside of them and says, "Boy, you look sad." And they begin to tell him of their hopes of what might have been, and then Jesus comes in and begins to explain what has happened. And it says their hearts burned within them, and what was slouching along the road now they ran back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples, that he's alive, we met him. Jesus, you see, is the announcement that this life of mourning is over. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate joy for humans. And you are in him. And you were raised with him. Look, now you can read some of those Old Testament prophecies and realize they're for you and I. What about Isaiah 40, verse 1? Listen, you get it. Jesus was operating over against these prophecies. He says, comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to them. Call out to her that her warfare has ended. Her iniquity has been removed. It's over. It's done. Or what about Jeremiah 31, where there's that great announcement of the new covenant, when your sins and your iniquities shall be remembered no more. Well, in in the verses just prior to that, it says, then the new covenant day, then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy I will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. That's the new covenant. That's what you are in, you see. Look, if you were told that getting saved is that all those bad, naughty things you did, uh, they've been forgiven, but now watch it, because if you do them again, we'll have to go through all this again. Now, would you flush that down the toilet? You have been brought into relationship, a relationship of God's love to you. And he grabs your hands and he says, let's dance. I've turned your mourning into joy. I've put the flowers in your hair and taken the ashes out. I will comfort you and give you joy for your sorrow. What about Psalm number 30, verse 11? Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Oh, come on. I don't have enough hours to underscore how real this is. Did you hear it? You've turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, and you've girded me with a new coat of gladness that my soul may sing praise to Thee and not be silent. O oh, Lord my God, I will give thanks to Thee forever. Well, um, I, I could go on. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend another week on this because where we go from this point on, well, there you've got what comfort really is. And so I'm going to stop here And I'll give you a week to realize what Jesus really has done and realize he has turned your mourning into dancing. He's loosed you from all sackcloth and he's put the flowers of his presence in your hair and taken off all the ashes. That's enough. That's enough for a week. So, may the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who delights over you with unbegun, unending joy. May He open your eyes through His Spirit that you may walk this incoming week in the comfort of God and soar above all mourning and sorrow. So I now bless you because that is the way it is.